Movie Health Podcast is proudly supported by Telemoods by eClapper Project Inc. Telemoods recommends which movies and TV series to watch by matching the user's mood and real-time offer of all streaming platforms. Download Telemoods today. Hi, this is AJ and welcome to the Movie Health Podcast. We talk about movies and mental health. In this episode, we have Kieran Dell. CEO of Majestic Cinemas. Welcome, Kieran. Thank you, AJ. Thank you for taking the time to talk about movies and mental health. Now, we typically interview healthcare professionals, and so this is a first time talking with someone from the cinema industry. So I'd love to hear, given your background and experience, what is your favourite movie? Yeah, my favourite movie, um, and it dates back, importantly, to just before I bought my first cinema, so it dates back 22 years, is the uh, Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings. Uh, in fact, the whole series, but first one specifically. So it's the first one? You can't take them as, as one. It's a series, so you've got to take them all. But the yeah. first one was the one that really stunned me initially. And so were you a Tolkien fan that you rented yeah. out? Yeah, I was a Tolkien uh, tragic through my uh, my teen years. I... Um, read The Hobbit uh, fairly young. I remember having a tape recording, that's how old I am, tape recording uh, 16 tapes of The Hobbit that my mother got me. I was never been good at audio books, so I preferred to read it anyway, which I did, and read uh, The Lord of the Rings probably at the age of about 12 or 13 and probably read it half a dozen times in my teens. So, yeah, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. So I suppose I'll provide a bit of a synopsis on the movie. In short, the movie came out in 2001, It's rated PG, just under three hours long, directed by Peter Jackson from the book from J.R.R. Tolkien. Peter Jackson actually co-wrote the film with Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyance and has many stars, Elijah Wood, Ian McClellan, Orlando Bloom, and it keeps going, Sean Bean, uh, Sean Astin, Kate Planchett, and Viggo Morrison. Andy Serkis is Gollum, quite famously, who I haven't mentioned. Christopher Lee as Saradam. It's remarkable, the ensemble of this cast. So the storyline of Lord of the Rings is an ancient ring thought to have been lost for centuries has been found, and through a strange twist of fate, has been given to a small hobbit named Frodo, the Elijah Wood character. When Galdorf discovers the ring is in fact the one ring of the Dark Lord Saradam, Frodo must take an epic quest to the Cracks of Doom in order to destroy it. However, he does not go alone. He is joined by Gandalf, Legolas the Elf, Gimli the Dwarf, Aragorn, Borimor, and his three hobbit friends, Merry, Pippin, and Samwise. Through the mountains, snow, darkness, forests, rivers, and plains, facing evil and danger at every corner, the Fellowship of the Ring must go onwards. A quest to destroy the One Ring is the only hope for the end of the Dark Lord's reign. Yeah, it's a mixture of action, adventure, drama, fantasy. However, I would say it's, it's quite strong on fantasy. Famously filmed in New Zealand, won four Oscars. An Oscars in cinematography, in musical score. And you can certainly remember the score of that film. It's very large and, and, and cosmic and really brings home the, the fantasy genre. And for me... Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, uh, the first of the trilogy, uh, like the other two, is a very standalone movie. You know, you could certainly watch the first, uh, learn a lot about the characters, the world that they're operating in, 
and uh, really be absorbed by the story. I'd probably say that the first is also my favorite, just given how you're thrust. I remember when Lord of the Rings came out. I remember seeing it at the cinemas. Uh, I remember being such a huge movie released around the same time as Matrix or a couple of years after Matrix, around the same time as Harry Potter. It was a, it was a massive time in cinema and it was such a huge film that I think even though it's 20 odd years since the movie has been released, it's definitely a movie that you can go and revisit and certainly considered along with the other two movies, an all-time classic in the genre, an adaption of a well-known book. I think your point is right, is that for me, yeah, Tolkien was the pinnacle of fantasy and I read a lot of fantasy and sci-fi, particularly as a teenager, and they'd never been able to translate that onto the big screen. You know, I probably would have seen uh, during the 80s and 90s and before that, a lot of the fantasy films that had come out and they were pretty cheesy, most of them. I can't even remember the names of most of them. They're, they're that memorable. So I would have seen all of that. And to be honest with you, when The Lord of the Rings came out, and I didn't own cinemas at that point, didn't even know that I would. A year later, I, I did own a cinema when the second one came out. But at the time, I, I didn't. So had no connections to the industry. And I remember I was living on the north coast of New South Wales. I was in Sydney for Christmas visiting my family. I knew The Lord of the Rings was coming out. There was an animated version from Ralph Bakshi, I think, sometime in the 70s when I was a teenager. It only went two-thirds of the way through, it was pretty average, and it was sort of this weird animated version. So I had a bad experience with Lord of the Rings on the big screen. So my first reaction when it came out on Boxing Day was, I'm not going to bother going and seeing that. Much as a Tolkien fan as I am, I don't want the film to spoil it for me. And then yep. word started to trickle out that Peter Jackson's actually done something pretty extraordinary here. He's actually captured the Lord of the Rings on film as it should be. And so intrigued when I got back home, which is probably a week after it had released. So you know, here's the Tolkien tragic, waited over a week, which I wouldn't normally have done. I decided I would go and see it. So I went and saw it by myself at the local cinema in Nambaka Heads, which a year later we owned. And I went and, uh, and watched it and was absolutely blown away by the fact that he managed to translate what was in all of our heads onto the screen. And to do it looking so magnificent was, was the first thing to blow it away. Yeah, I love the story and lots of things of the story, but the fact that he did that I then went and got my wife and my two young kids, who I think were about nine and 11 at the time, and I forced them to come and watch it with me and watched it again um, probably two days later. I was that impressed with it. Sir Peter Jackson, we must say, he really made his name from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I mean, it was actually, I think, that I read on IMDb, the first person to direct three major films simultaneously, Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and Return of the King. And they were nominated from a slew of rewards from Golden Globe, Oscars, BAFTAs. And somehow Peter Jackson managed to follow up the Lord of the Rings trilogy. In 2005, he directed, wrote and produced King Kong with Universal Pictures. And that was a huge film at its time. I think that movie grossed over $500 million and, and won three Oscars by itself. Yeah, Peter Jackson previously received widespread acclaim for I think it was his, two, uh, his 1994 uh, feature film, Heavily Creatures. He received a, an Oscar nomination for that one, Best Screenplay. And he's done other films over the years. Frighteners, starring Michael J. Fox. Brain Dead, which was one of his original, uh, was his independent films. And he's done some TV as well. He later uh, partnered with Steven Spielberg's, remember, with the, the Adventures of Tintin, The Secret of the Unicorn, 2011. 
Yeah, I think he's then moved on to a lot more production. So, you know, being involved in quite a few documentary productions. He did the remarkable documentary in, you know, a couple of years ago, The Beatles Get Back, where he directed and produced that. That was unbelievable. That was, you know, around six hours of footage that was condensed down from, you know, I think 70 or so, you know, just a remarkable amount of film into a concise series about um, how the Beatles made that particular album. Yeah, and he writes a lot of his scripts with his partner, Fran Walsh. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's basically, it's uh, a hero story that has themes of resurrection on Tolkien, was a devout Christian. Uh, it has a lot of a background in Norse mythology. He was a professor of uh, mythology, created his own language, uh, his own peoples, and it's a very intricate story. But the story in the first of the three books really is the forming of fellowship to basically save the world from all the different races on the good side of uh, good versus evil. And it's a good versus evil story at the end of the day. And they all come together as a group. And uh, as you say, at the end of the first book and the first movie, that fellowship uh, splitters um, for various reasons. And uh, the next two movies basically see you changing between different groups of the fellowship uh, all going their own way, all playing their own part in the ultimate uh, you know, victory over evil. I don't think that's a spoiler. I think uh, yeah, we yeah. all know that good was going to beat evil in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And it was also a movie that launched the careers of many of the actors as well. You know, Elijah Wood being Frodo, you know, what the main hobbit in Lord of the Rings. A few other familiar actors' names, Sam, his best friend. Yeah, I can't think of the actor's name, actually. Famous for Goonies, should have had it ready to fire. And the other thing that uh, I remember from Lord of the Rings is, is the music, the score. I believe it was Enya that was quite involved in the development of the score for Lord of the Rings. I was actually listening to Enya recently, and Lord of the you know, music, classic music from Lord of the Rings that are used throughout, throughout Fellowship of the Rings came on. I was like, ah, yeah, I know. I either know what part of the movie that was from, or ah, yeah, that's Lord of the Rings. Classic Enya, classic movie score. So yes, it did launch a whole lot of careers, as well as Peter Jackson, as you said. He was a uh, independent filmmaker, so he was a big risk for the studio to give a huge budget to, so no one was quite sure there. Yeah, it had some established actors, uh, people like Ian McKellen as Gandalf and uh, and so on, and Sean Bean, who went on in, you had to be in Game of Thrones and a whole lot of things for many years, but it also introduced people like Elijah Wood, uh, as you said. Uh, Orlando Bloom uh, as the elf, Sean Astin was Sam, and uh, Andy Serkis famously as Gollum. Uh, Viggo Mortensen um, was his first major role as, as Aragorn. Uh, you had Kate Blanchett, Ian Holm, uh, you know, lots of great older actors as well as some uh, some new ones. And some of them had made their careers. For some of them, it was uh, yeah, topping off the end of their career. And uh, it was probably the start of the, uh, the Sean Bean of him always famously dying within a movie or TV series. And again, spoilers on this one, he dies at the end of the first movie. So well, it wasn't the start of it, but that was the character arc that his character had to take. And, you know, that, I don't know about you, but going back to that feeling of dread, I think that, you know, the opening of Lord of the Rings, you really feel immersed in the world that Tolkien had created in his books. Um, and Peter Jackson and crew really, you know, recreated that world, all film, filmed in, in New Zealand and the sets are, remarkable that the cgi really holds up you know given how old it is but you know you're introduced to the world of the hobbits and you meet gandalf the 
uh, the Gandalf the Great, the wizard that supports Frodo with his pulling together the fellowship to support, you know, their journey for the ring. But as I said, you know, I think as the story progresses, feel this real sense of alarm or concern that something bad is going to happen. It's all built about that uh, huge battle with evil, so it's uh, inevitable. And and Gandalf, uh, many people think Frodo is the main character, but uh, in actual fact, Gandalf is the manipulator of everything. So uh, he's actually the uh, the key character, as it turns out. Is that right? I believe he's the key to the to the movie. He's the one who, uh, um, and again, spoilers, but the book's a hundred years old, and the and then the movie's been out for twenty odd years. Yeah, he's the one who dies and is resurrected. He's the Christ-like figure. Yeah, he's the real leader of it all. Yeah, and all the others, Frodo included, are all his tools to battle evil. And and I'll, we didn't mention in terms of the cast, but John Rhys Davies and some great Australian actors in there as well. Hugo Weaving plays Elrond. I think in the later movies you had uh, what's his name uh, played Dan the Diver. In later movies, David Wenham was in there as uh, Sean Bean's brother. Um, there were great Australian cast, and the fact that it was made in New Zealand was a huge thing for the New Zealand film industry at the time. And it sort of rubbed off a little bit on Australia and many of the Australian actors. And also by being set in New Zealand, it kicked off, well, I think Peter Jackson's production company is Wingnut. And that also, you know, the the innovation that had occurred in the reproduction of the, of the world, but also, you know, the creation of Gollum as a creature gave birth to CGI powerhouse in New Zealand being with that. And not just CGI, but actually special effects more so than CGI. CGI's done a whole lot of different things. I think Wingnuts is production company. Weta Studios is the is the place it's made. And and I recently got the chance uh, a couple of times to go to New Zealand. Weta Studios is in Wellington. Uh, and I visited it. Absolutely spectacular. You see all of the prosthetics and for orcs, who are the, the baddies, of course, and others. Um, you see all of that at Weta Studios. There's a huge, big exhibition uh, permanently there. Absolutely worth seeing. And I got to go to Hobbiton, which is on the South Island, uh, sorry, on the North Island as well, in um, near Rotorua. And I got to visit Hobbiton, and you can go into the Hobbit burrows, and you can walk around and just see how we created this whole real landscape. So it wasn't a lot of it wasn't CGI. A lot of it was he did it on this farm in the middle of New Zealand, and he made the, the Shire um, for the Hobbits there. And he did a whole lot of special effects, as I said, rather than CGI, I suppose. Special effects, yeah, exactly. In particular, uh, the, you know, with those practical effects, the the hawks that, you know, feature quite heavily throughout the trilogy, a pretty fierce, intimidating, scary creation. I remember seeing a statue of one somewhere and... Yeah, pretty scary stuff. And they were done so effectively in the films and legitimately frightening, I think, to watch on screen and have as this evil force that is a continuous threat and, you know, coming different form shapes and, and sizes. I think after watching all three recently, you, you can definitely see, uh, you know, mentioned the the indie filmmaking that um, Peter Jackson started out in I remember a movie he did in the 80s Bad Taste which was you know basically this rambling story of combination of UFOs and freaky creatures um so you can really see that with a bit of bit more money and more creativity he was able to really realize different types of creatures as well which I thought was really cool yeah I think the movie that uh, that uh, got him the job was uh, I think from everyone called Beautiful Creatures or something like that that was his sort of audition for it, which again was a small budget independent movie, but um, that obviously caught a few people's eye. But uh, yeah, he'd made a few small movies before this, but 
Yeah, and since then, of course, he's gone on to make um, you know, things like King Kong and and some, you know, obviously the Hobbit movies, which I didn't like as much as Lord of the Rings. I think he mucked that one up a little bit. Well, he was supposed to direct the Hobbit trilogy, was he? It was no, he was supposed to produce it. Yeah, Del Toro. Yeah, the Spanish guy, Del Toro. No, Guillermo Del Toro was uh, was lined up to do it. And then the yeah. fact that they made three movies out of a uh, book that's smaller than any one of the volumes of Lord of the Rings made no sense to us purists. They also released it uh, to get technical here in, in high frame rate, which took away some of the mystery and made it too real and got yeah. behind some special effect. And that uh, was a bit of a mistake. Not that many people saw it in that format, but still it was, uh, yeah, he was experimenting. Um, and if Peter Jackson hadn't uh, done what he did for the New Zealand film industry, and yeah, you've got to argue that the Australian industry benefits from that somehow as well. Uh, you wouldn't have seen Avatar and James Cameron go to New Zealand and, and all those things that have come out of that since then. So he's absolutely a pioneer. Yeah, absolutely. And not to backtrack, but I'll add this in somewhere. I think Peter Jackson's Hollywood break, which I should have had written down, was actually Frighteners in the late 90s that starred Michael J. Fox, which by memory was quite good. I think a movie that not everyone will associate with Peter Jackson nor so Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, uh, first in the, in the trilogy, you know, I remember how that made me feel. I, I certainly feel it's a complete film, um, memorable film, blew everyone's socks off, uh, was dominating the world around the same time as Harry Potter. Again, in memory, it was, you know, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Matrix. It was a really exciting time for movies and cinema. So the next two movies within the trilogy, so Two Towers and then Return of the King, Two Towers really, it picks up where Fellowship finishes. So you have you have Gilmy and you have Aragor and you have... And Legolas, the elf, yeah. Running through the uh, New Zealand uh, hills and landscape to go and rescue the other two hobbits. But is there anything in particular about Two Towers that you remember or that you think were impressive? Because, you know, if you do a little bit of research, there's some debate out there that Two Towers is the best out of the three. Yeah, which is unusual for a middle film, and and you know we get annoyed these days when our films have cliffhangers uh, at the end. But I think everyone understood that that was the structure of the books. Um, look, the two towers is the two towers are, are the two evil towers in uh, Gondor and uh, Saruman's tower, who was a wizard turned evil, and it's a lot of it's the story about them. But uh, it's also you know about the breaking up of the fellowship and how they all go their their own way and sort of setting up for the big finale in the third movie. So it's a bit of a setup movie. But it holds its own, and you're right. Some people believe it's the best of the three, probably from a lot of the action and the and the special effects. Uh, but again, didn't quite have the you know the the payoff at the end because it's still you know, leaving a cliffhanger point. They're about to you know make have the final confrontation with evil in the third. Yeah, and I think it was given being you know given it was the middle movie. I still having watched it recently, as in two days ago, the first had you know, unique sort of emotions to it and sort of, you know, made you feel a certain way. And then Two Towers sort of set this relentless pace, like it was continuous, uh, similar to what Christopher Nolan... It, it was all about the chase and, and setting, yeah. up, uh, setting up the war. You know? Yeah, uh, it starts yeah. on the pace and it continues on. The battle scenes are awesome. They really hold up because it's a lot of close action shots of orcs and the Fellowship and knights battling. And there's not as many battles as in the third movie, Return of the King. It's a really tight movie. And I think you're introduced a lot more characters. Now, I'm not going to even attempt to, to try and name <laughs> new characters. I couldn't even name some of the, the standard characters. But 
the what the complexity of the world to grow. Yeah. The first one sort of starts in the shire, which is sort of this little, you know, separate enclave. And so you sort of get this feeling of closeness, whereas now you're getting a feeling of the enormity of this world and all the creatures yeah. in it. So there's the Ents, for example, the, the walking tree, and, uh, you know, there's the horsemen of, of Rohan and so on. And so you've got all of these new elements and new kingdoms, effectively, and new creatures coming into the story. So it's expansive in that sense, absolutely. Yeah. And then we, we end with uh, Return of the King, the, the last movie of the trilogy. And at 320 minutes, that is such an epic, <laughs> epic finale in terms of the, the three movies. Uh, and again, you know, you, you're introduced with more characters. There is multiple battles throughout. You know, there's certain parts of it that where, where the, uh, the production design and the CGI is, you know, really trying to ramp up sort of the breadth and the, the number of creatures in a battle scene. But it really just shows you that the sheer scale of the production they were able to achieve, certainly, you know, within the third movie, but across all three movies. And so what do you think they did so well for the fantasy genre? Because, again, when I rewatched the movies, I wasn't a, a big Game of Thrones fan. I sort of watched the first season, but, again, from memory, I couldn't think of anything else after Lord of the Rings that was done to the quality of the production or the intensity of the storytelling up until recently, uh, you know, five years ago with Lord of the Rings. Sorry, Game of Thrones. So from memory or from, you know, recent experience, is there anything in particular around the, the fantasy genre that you think Lord of the Rings did well? In my mind, you've got to sort of combine fantasy and sci-fi. They're often are combined and it's part of the same sort of whatever the opposite of subgenre is, some um, huge yeah. genre, over, overarching genre. And so Lord of the Rings showed what could be done with uh, visual effects it showed what could be done with the right budget and the right director that had the right passion for it, which hadn't been done in fantasy or sci-fi all that much in the past. You know, we'd had some great sci-fi movies, 2001, A Space Odyssey and all those sort of things, but they were sort of one-off, one-off hits. Yeah. So I think the, the successes, um, yeah, you mentioned Harry Potter and Harry Potter was around about the same time. I remember we took over our first cinema, uh, we took it over the day we had a Harry Potter on the 14th of November and then six weeks later we had the second Lord of the Rings. So yeah. Um, both of them were operating training again, taking a beloved book um, and yeah, realizing it on the big screen was an important change for audiences that they hadn't really seen that. Um, Game of Thrones, I read the Game of Thrones book 10 years before it came out and then when everyone got upset about the Red Wedding, I said, well, yeah, I know, I was upset when I read the book, but that was 10 years ago. Um, yeah. the, the, um, and, and it did it um, yeah, more on a TV than a, than a, a big screen uh, point of view, but on the on the big screen, you've you, you've had uh, I think Avatar is the obvious um, successor. Uh, yeah, two of the biggest movies of all time, uh, with the latest one last uh, last summer. Um, yeah, they they are the obvious successes in terms of some of the um, yeah the special effects, visual effects, and all that sort of thing. Um, but we've also and, and I I can't necessarily name them off, my, off the top of my head, but yeah, you know, we've had Hunger Games, we've had a few other. Um, you know, dystopian type series that have been huge and Twilight, the Twilight series, etc. that are all part of that same overall genre that have, uh, have been huge money makers for the studios, huge franchises and um, have benefited from, uh, from what Lord of the Rings did. So yeah, there've been, mm -hmm. there've been quite a few of those, uh, those big franchises. Thinking about the length of it all. And what do you think about, you know, back when Lord of the Rings was released, 
the runtime for Lord of the Rings. You know, I don't know, prior to that, in sort of recent memory of the cinema goers, a movie of, you know, at the three hour mark had been released. You know, you mentioned Avatar, that was that was quite long, but you know, going back and watching all three films was definitely a significant effort. I had late nights Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and so did my wife. But, you know, what do you think the runtime says about, you know, these types of movies and how, you know, audiences either are happy to continue with that runtime or see it as something that will slowly change over time or diminish? Look, I think um, there's, there's lots in that. The runtime's a real issue for cinema writers. We prefer to see shorter movies because we can fit more sessions in. But for the right movie, whether it's an Avatar or a Lord of the Rings, that you know, you know is going to be very popular, I think people appreciate the epic scale of those movies requires some time to tell them. On the other hand, we have you know, other movies now that are hitting the three-plus-hour movie mark that are being made that are arguably a bit self-indulgent from the directors. And yeah. so you know, audience is a little bit less wanting to, you know, happy to sit there for three hours and watch them. So there needs to be a balance. And if it's going to take you three plus hours to tell a story. One of the beauties of movies is the fact that, you know, in roughly two to two and a half hours, you can tell a complete story. That's very different to a, a series on Netflix where they'll often take a two hour movie and stretch it into, you know, eight one hour episodes. Yeah. And they move a lot slower. Yeah, a movie should be crafted to be done in, in two to maybe two and a half hours. Um, but the really special ones, the Lord of the Rings, the Avatars and so on, um, yeah, they can justify that three hour running time. Yeah, and to add, I suppose my point is that you know, epic films, films over the two and a half hour, three hour mark, there's some of them you can definitely feel the length, feel that recent example is Babylon, you know, just a remarkable movie. It just felt half an hour too long. You know, I'm sure that the director had grandest inspirations and wanted to realize his whole vision. So that was uh, Babylon, Damien Chazelle, uh, famous from La La Land and, and Whiplash and Auteur director and it has a vision has a budget uh, and goes all out remarkable filmmaking but i watched it recently and just just felt like that half an hour too long and it's a shame because you don't want to think about that when you're in a movie and going back watching lord of the rings you know sitting down and watching that movie three hours long just given that the amount of characters the the complexity of the storyline the journey that they go through in certainly in the first Fellowship of the Rings, it's enthralling. You know, it's magic cinema, you know, magic cinema experience. However, it just doesn't feel as long as, as that three-hour mark. And I suppose with Flower Moon, yeah, I really, you know, I, I felt that time really stretched. I felt as though there were moments that I'd seen before within the movie, and I am no by no means critiquing uh, Martin Scorsese's choices. However, I can really feel it and. You know, if you were to, it'd be interesting to see the response you'd get if you reran Lord of the Rings at a cinema, see the, the you know, dynamic difference in the generations and see how popular that would be in the older generation, in, sorry, the younger generations. You know, I do fear that, you know, some of these auteurs that are getting the opportunity to release these big thematic movies out on, you know, the three hour mark, um, is that a making an effect? To cinema goers, I'm not sure, but you know, if I can compare Lord of the Rings, having watching that recently, that type of film and the way it was made, you know, compared to something like Killers of the Flower Moon or Babylon, yeah, the experience was just very different. 
I think the two are quite different. In Lord of the Rings, it was uh, a hundred-year-old, one of the most revered texts, second perhaps only to the Bible, in reverence to it. And you have a lot of people like me who are absolute Tolkien nerds who, if they cut too much out or anything out of the books, would have been up in arms. And the same happened with Harry Potter. You know, we found that my daughter was a real Harry Potter fan, and uh, if they changed stuff from the books, um, she would be up in arms. So there was yeah. a whole fan base that they had to cater for. As opposed to Killers of the Flower Moon, where you know, with most movies that, that adapt from books, they will take some, they'll, they'll cut some bits out. You know, they'll make sure that they get the story told in in the time frame. And yeah, you know, I think Scorsese is a master filmmaker. I thought it was a brilliant film. I saw it yesterday as well, and a brilliant film. And it didn't feel too long in many ways because uh, it gripped you the whole way through. But you also felt it could have been. It was three hours twenty six minutes. It could have been easily kept to three hours or less without losing the essence of the story. And I think that's what. We've lost in the art of filmmaking in the last few years as we've changed to digital and the directors have got more power in the studios that we're seeing these movies times blow out and uh, it's not as tight storytelling as perhaps it used to be. Having said that, you go back to movies like Gone with the Wind, there were like four hours and so on back in history. So long movies are are not new, but in the old days, it used used to cost every foot of film, it would cost a certain amount of, you know, they were made of silver nitrate and so on, and they would have to very carefully make a decision whether to, to do it longer. These days, it's all digital files. Now, a lot of those cost things don't come into it. So mm. there's a lots of lots of things that play the whole length of film. Yeah, so, and, and definitely not comparing the two. And I was also gripped and, and you can just see the ma- mastery of, uh, of Scorsese, Scorsese and co. Killers of the Flower Moon. It was just, you know, I suppose the, the length of the film and experiencing the film felt a bit different. So thanks for sharing about Lord of the Rings. You know, there's quite a bit in there. I'll readjust some of the order that uh, we explained Lord of the Rings and the career of Peter Jackson. But on the Movie Health Podcast, we also talk about mental health. So just like to mention that when we started to explore the concept of movies and mental health and this concept of movie therapy where you can use the tool of the movie to have a conversation about mental health or mental illness, you know, you've been a really great supporter of me and, and movie as we sort of explore how might we use movies for mental health. So either associated to movies or in your personal life, what are some of your tips for mental health? So maintaining mental health. For me, one of the reasons that I was so keen to embrace the concept is that for me, uh, sitting in a cinema watching a movie has always been, since I was a teenager, a mental health thing for me. You think about it, it's yeah, in these modern days, it's the only time that you turn off your phone, that you have to turn off your phone pretty much. It's the only time that you can look at a big screen and can immerse yourself in the story. Watching something at home, I was never able to watch movies uh, at home and I still struggle with it. I can watch a TV series that I'm sort of half interested in and get the gist of it and whatever, but I'm always, perhaps I've got ADHD. My son tells me that I've got to be doing multiple things. So I'm checking my emails on my phone, on my iPad, on both at the same time, as well as watching something at home. Whereas in the cinema, yeah. I have to focus on the story and so on. And I find that a real escape. And you now we all have the pressures of day-to-day life and the, the escape of going to the movies has always been a key one for me, well before I even contemplated that I would own a, any cinemas. So I've always loved that. Yeah, you know, on the other side, yeah, you know, for me, um, while I wouldn't call myself uh, supremely fit uh, or anything, I've always tried to maintain a, a good physical side, you know, whether it's going for a walk or a run or a bike ride, playing team sports. I've always been a team sport player, being part of a team. And I've always talked about that, yeah, you know, playing, I play hockey 
I have since I was seven years old, which is over 50 years to age myself. And I'm still playing now. And I see that as a real stress relief. Um, bit of white line fever when I cross the line. I can be a slightly different person sometimes, uh, particularly the umpires might say that. But I'm not too bad these days, a bit more mellow. But uh, it's just, it gets the adrenaline going and out there, but it's also being part of the team. So, yeah, I've never been a good just runner or swimmer or anything like that. I always wanted to have a, a bat and a ball of some sort and be running around with a team. You know, I played a lot of squash as well and find a, a partner to play squash with. So it's the camaraderie of that as well as the, you know, the exercise and all of that. So, yeah, you know, I think from a mental health point of view that you know, sport uh, and exercise are, you know, to me, are extremely important. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, there's a combination of movies and sport. I can definitely relate to both. I continue to go to the movies by myself or with friends and totally agree. It's such an escape to switch off and enjoy something like a movie. And then, yeah, that it's super important to uh, go out and maintain your physical and, and mental health. So, Kieran, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate talking about Lord of the Rings and... Uh, revisiting all three recently you know i really enjoyed it and and you know hope to do it again in the near future but i think i need a bit of a rest from orcs and fairies and and wizards and, and goblins no fairies in lord of the rings they're elves <laughs> oh there you go <laughs> i wasn't paying attention all right mate well thank you so much and uh take care no problems thanks aj